0: Welcome to Geared for Growth, I'm your host Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors, your tax depreciation experts. Today I've got a real treat in store for you, we're chatting to the founder and CEO of Stone Real Estate Peter Mumford. Now if you haven't heard of Stone Real Estate before, you are probably about to. They're a rapidly growing real estate brand in Australia with offices all over the place. We have a chat to Peter about growing up in the northern beaches and what actually made him so successful at growing businesses. So he started out being a chef and restaurant owner and was a very successful one at that. He moved into the real estate game and became very successful there before the Stone Group. He's got some great advice and we can certainly see the entrepreneurial brain at work in this one. We've talked to him about getting onto property and what is observed in the marketplace in the next little while, and he shares his tips on where he sees the best opportunities for investors in the next few years as well. An awesome interview with Peter, and here he is now. Peter Mumford, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Peter, you've obviously got uh, a fairly big name in the industry, but for people that haven't come across you before, can you let us know who
1: you are and what you specialise in? Um, Yeah, thanks for that, Mike. Well, we specialise, we're a franchise real estate business. So we're five years old and um, not new to real estate, but five years old with stone and we're rolling stone out across Australia from the residential real estate
0: and it's funny, in preparation for the interview, it's sort of like when you're looking at buying a certain car, you see them everywhere and Stone is um, certainly spreading around uh, everywhere. It's it's a it's a really big growth brand at the moment. What posters were on the bedroom wall growing up as a kid?
1: <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, hard to imagine, probably like a lot of young kids, you know, cars, fun things like that. It um, was interesting, though, because as a young kid, I wanted to be a chef, which I became from a very young age. Um, but I think it was always, you know, a little bit driven to, um, to want to acquire nice things in life and uh, build a business and, and sort of get on with it. So in lots of ways, I couldn't wait to get out of school to get started
0: and that's a a pretty amazing story that we're going to dive into as well but what about with property how did you first get started in property and what was your first investment
1: Um, first one was probably about let me think probably about 23 24 um bought some land in near Matcham on the central coast um after about a year after opening our first business um so that was the first one i sort of got into that to build a home on Beautiful.
0: Now, let's go back a little bit of a step. You went to school in Manly, is that right?
1: Um, yeah, Man- well, Manly Boys, which is near Freshwater there, used to be called Harbour in my day. Um, so we went to Manly Boys, a uh, general public school. It was a fairly large school. Affectionately, we all called it the jail. Uh, cause I think it still looks like a jail, but it's called something else now. It might be Freshwater Campus or something along Harbour Road there.
0: And what? How would you sort of characterize growing up there? What was that
1: like? Um, well, growing up was good. I lived in D. Y. My parents had a small dress shop in Manly, so I grew up with uh, my parents being in a small family business. Um, the Manly Boys High School was a pretty rough school. You sort of used to fight for your lunch there, and um, it was an interesting school. Uh, I was not. Was, I couldn't wait to get out of school because I was thought that. Um, It was just, like, time being wasted and I wanted to get on and and make a dollar, I guess.
0: Yep. And really, within five years of of finishing high school, you opened up your first restaurant on the Central Coast. So was that, I mean, you wanted to be a chef uh, when you were growing up, I suppose. Was was that always the, the plan?
1: Yeah, it was. In those days, yeah, uh, thanks to my mum probably because she let me in the kitchen. I don't know if many mothers let their young sons get in there and make a big mess. Um, But I I remember my mother telling a story. I think the writing was on the wall when I kept asking for more chocolate cake to take school. And then um, my mum found out what I was up to because it was a very tasty chocolate cake my mother made, but I was selling it. So I think (laughs) that was my early early thing into uh, trying to run a business out of school. But um, yeah, pretty much from year seven, I think I knew that I wanted to have a nice car, have a restaurant and be a chef. Um, So I've sort of made my mind up at at that stage and then left at the end of year 10 to start with a career at Qantas in uh, flight catering there to start with.
0: Right. You know, it's funny how many entrepreneurs have that kind of little seed where it's like, ah, we should have known back at, you know, eight years old when Johnny started mowing the neighbours' lawns and created a syndicate and that sort of thing. So, that was obviously a bit of an insight into what was the, the future for you. So, um, talk us through the first business and, and what was the plan? I mean, was it more sophisticated than you know, make myself a business and get a Ferrari or, or was it was um, there something a little bit more penciled down?
1: Well probably the first business was actually if I go back a bit was actually when I was still in school. I was trying to decide and my parents again very I guess let me indulge in trying to create little business ideas, I decided to um I was gonna conquer the local fruit and veg market selling the mushrooms. So I got my dad to move his cars out of the garage so I could get 40 boxes of compost in the garage in the dark and I bought all this uh, the mushroom spawn and started growing mushrooms, which was going really quite well for a while until unbeknownst to me I got the mushroom might attack my harvest and wipe them all out overnight. So that was was my first foray into business, Um, I think. (laughs) But anyway... That, that, was that, that was at home. But when I got out of uh, school, I knew I wanted to be a chef. I knew I wanted to have my own restaurant because I just loved cooking. Um, so it was a passion for that, which I still have, but now I get to do it for fun, just for friends when I entertain them. Um, it's not for living anymore, obviously, in, in hospitality. Um, but I, I think when we started that, it was about building just a great restaurant um, that stood out and we can make amazing food and then then we launched a small catering company with that as well at the same time um and i guess it sort of evolved then into a few other restaurants down the track and a large very large event catering company in the city
0: These sorts of businesses can be difficult businesses to to run. Obviously, the the labour force is is not as traditional as as perhaps real estate. Um, You're talking often low margins, that sort of thing. But you actually built and sold a number of them and did it really well. What... What, what was it that you think was the driving force behind that in having, sure, some some experience in filling your dad's garage with compost, but but you actually were, were a natural business person? Where did that come from?
1: Well, I don't know if I was natural, um, and were, it wasn't all smooth sailing, which is probably important for people to hear. Um, you make, I think in life, you make lots of mistakes, and I still make them today, but um, as as we're probably already in many books, um, if you're failing constantly, you're trying. And if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough because we're not pushing the boundaries. So if I go back, um, I think I did well in restaurants to start with. And then the 90s recession hit, and that was terrible, and that cost me a lot of money. Um, and then I moved back to Sydney from the Central Coast where I grew up in Sydney and decided to work for someone for a while there managing a group, uh, the Argyle Tavern, I think it was and different restaurants there. Then we launched a large event catering company and that grew to the largest boutique in Sydney in six years. We used to do, God, at Christmas we would do up to 15 jobs a night ranging from 200 people up to 2,000 people at every job and we'd have like 2,000 casual waiters out a night. So that was ballistic. We were wow. desperate. Date was for 6,000. We, we, we we're one or three at Fox Studios, four Dennis, and we opened the marquees out there. So it evolved, but you have some successes and you have some uh, wins and losses, I guess. Um, so it wasn't natural, but it, I think a lot of that is about just you know giving it a go, working out what's working, what's not working, and modifying and trying not to make that mistake two or three times in a row. <laughs> What, what it
0: sort of seems clear to me just from a, a glance over the, the resume of what you've been able to do is that there were businesses that you were able to take over and turn around. What, 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 sort of, what were they like compared to when you went in there and what are some of the key things that you did to actually change the trajectory and make them successful?
1: I think, um, well, different things. I think if I look back, I remember when I worked for um, a group at the Argyle Tavern, we, because of having run businesses before that, you're very cost-conscious of, of labour, um, of different things where you can save things. And if you haven't actually ever had your own skin in the game, knowing that you can lose your house if you stuff up, it, it's very hard sometimes to learn, sometimes, around where you need to save costs. So I think that that was a benefit when I was uh, managing some people's businesses. And then when we bought a business, I think one of the first ones we bought um, in real estate it, I think you come in with fresh eyes and you go, well, great business, maybe a little sleepy, we can turn that around. Um, it is looking at opportunities that other people aren't seeing. It's also about really giving it a go and being prepared to put in the effort and the hours. Um, my mother used to say to me like that um, in business we do things that others won't do so we can have things that others will only ever dream about. Um, mm, i like that and it's a very very true you've got to put in the hard yards and, and not giving up and sometimes in my case because i've always had to been self-funded and borrow the money from banks it's like poker i'm, all, I'm always all in <laughs> so there's no going back yeah <laughs> if it doesn't survive you're out the door
0: when your back's when your back's against the wall you find a way don't you correct so, so moving on from, from being a chef and a restaurant owner, obviously having some great success from there, what made you want to leave that industry and move into real estate?
1: Um, well, we when we built the last hospitality business that was very successful, which was called Blue Rock Catering and Events, um, we got a great offer from Ridges Hotels in those days and they were trying to get into our space, but we had a lot of the venues uh, sewn up. Australian Museum and so on and so they bought us out and it was a good offer we built that up in six years and we were pretty exhausted we haven't had much time off and, and it's a in hospital as you said earlier is a very tough business to make money you can you can make good money but you can have to put a lot back in every year and you know uh, lost equipment so we made it decided we thought we we're going to retire was <laughs> well, we didn't have that much we realized we couldn't retire after a while but We decided in our 18 months of retirement that we were, oh, we had a farm. Why don't we plant a few coffee trees? So we planted 33,000 of them and created our own. Yeah, a few. few. Um, We thought we'll create the whole Paddock the Plate story and we created this brand called Crave Coffee. Um, We were going to do that, live up near Nambaka. But to the morning, literally to the morning of my birthday, my 40th birthday, we got this frost that never happens in the valley because the land was so dry that season that they all died. So <laughs> we... Like in the mushroom mite all over again. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So I realised uh, that you can't beat God with farming. So um, we decided at the same time I, I was sort of developing two townhouses in Manly and we were living in the country and we decided that we'd start a little business called Private Sellers, which was, I thought, in those days, I thought, look, we'll, we'll add something different to real estate. We'll give maybe the consumer an alternative to um, selling their own property. And, we, you know, we had everything from a simple package of $1,200 right up to paying the full commission. Anyway, I had a partner in Sydney, um, a young agent, but uh, she fell in love with someone in Sydney and she wasn't putting any effort in, so I had to come back from the country to run it. Um, and after the trees died, I thought, look, We we put a lot of effort into real estate. I thought, let's change this brand around, let's change the name and call it Insight because most of the consumer wanted to pay us the full commission. Um, So that's how we sort of ended up in real estate um, was one, you know, from coffee beans to real estate really. Um,
0: Straight out of the real estate textbook,
1: that one, Peter. And I thought it looked easy, you know, silly me. Uh, (laughs) Real estate looks easy. (laughs) There's a dollar in that, so let's give that a go. And um, we started uh, in real estate in for started from home, not knowing what I was doing, did that for nine months, wrote about 400 grand in fees. And then we bought a small First National business in Manly and rebranded it, kept their main name, but dropped the First National and rebranded it to um, Charles Park. It was called Charles Park. We rebranded Charles Park Insight, which was our brand. And we were going to go and build that brand. The plan was to go and I have the multiple offices and build that across the beaches.
0: Yep. Now, you mentioned before that you moved into these hospitality uh, businesses with a fresh set of eyes. I imagine you had a fairly fresh set of eyes moving into the real estate. Uh, side of things what was it that you sort of saw from from your background your training your business skills that made you successful in in real estate straight away was there any sort of angle that you took that you thought real estate agents just weren't seeing
1: okay I think in the early days like most young business people you are full of a lot of ideas passion drive and I think a lot comes down to how you relate to the consumer um, what effort you put in maybe there was quite a few stayed businesses at the time in our area. So we just got in, gave it a go, did our own sort of video filming production, added more in how we presented properties at the time and seemed to build a bit of a niche um, with the consumer. And then, of course, when we bought out a business, we could we refresh that, refitted it out the office, change the marketing, change the look and the feel, as many small um, real estate businesses do when, if they want to do their own thing. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to passion. And I think just getting, creating uh, great marketing, training your staff, inspiring the, the team, to have got to go on that journey with you.
0: It's funny, you notice um, lots of restaurants will have these banners put up all the time under new management, and then it looks kind of exactly the same. You think, well, what's the point? Is it just kind of like they're wanting to say, we're in charge now, but maybe all the old customers actually like the place. But we're talking about, fundamental big changes so different fit outs completely different brand different energy you're taking something a bit sleepy to something a bit dynamic
1: yeah look in that case um the the charles park first national business we bought um we were very lucky the owner david was a great person very honest it was a great business to buy i mean it had been there 50 years And, and with the utmost respect i say a little bit of a sleepy business meaning that it wasn't Rocking the world, but had a great little team, um, and it had a great little rent roll, and was great for us to get started and put our spin on it. Um, I guess uh, David was probably ready to—he was ready to sell. Um, and like all of us, I sometimes when you get to that, sometimes maybe you lose a little bit of the passion. You're not driving it as hard as maybe you want to or should. So we came in um, younger, changed it. We had our insight branding, which was very um, vibrant, strong, stood out in the marketplace. And, and I was very passionate about wanting to build our brand across the beaches. So, you know, we, we just got in and started running.
0: And you were able to grow those businesses very, very quickly. D- is there anything that you attribute the success of those to?
1: Um, well, I think every, no one business is one person. I think we were lucky we had a great team in there. We all worked together. They all got on board with the dream where we were going with that um again, I think it's like this for, for most people. you just got to have a lot of passion for what you're doing, a lot of drive, and try to pedal faster than everyone else on that journey to get ahead and um, and go for it.
0: I like that. Our, our landlord here um, gave me some advice the other day. He said, bite off more than you can chew and then chew like mad. That sounds right. about the same yep, sort it of thing. Yeah, <laughs> Very true, true. So, so you are obviously the CEO of Stone Real Estate, founder uh, of Stone Real Estate. Can you talk us through the sort of transition from other brands to Stone? What the sort of yeah. idea was, and, uh, and yeah, give us the whole background on how
1: Stone began. Yeah, so if I go back to Charles Clark Insight, so we were going to build that brand across the beaches and open mobile offices. In the meantime, we got approached by uh, someone within the McGrath network to take on the Northern Beaches um, under McGrath. Now, at the time, McGrath had opened six months prior to to me taking on the Charles Park business. Um, They'd started with 10 agents in Monerville, 10 in Manly, and we grew and we sort of beat them, and they'd shrunk to about one agent left in Monerville office and two in Manly when we took over the um, franchise offering. We were their first technical franchisee. So we took on the beaches then, opened over a period of years, oh, four or five years. We opened about six offices, I think it was, um, recruited about 30 agents, built that up. From that, ironically, we built a really successful business. And it was quite profitable. Now, it's a couple of, we, we renewed our franchise because a lot of franchises might have a five with a five year option. So we renewed our next five years, wanted to get another five. They said they would do that as soon as i would signed they were getting their paperwork ready so they said to me but we asked them 18 times for another option and they kept saying yeah yeah it's coming unbeknownst to me um McGrath were building for a float now what they were doing um was trying to acquire or take back offices and they did buy one group out and because they could add more value at their share price if they took back mm. the profit side of our businesses so we didn't realise this straight away. Obviously, it sunk in. But through this period, we decided, look, it looks a bit risky. They may not be offering us renewal. So we decided, well, we better build our own brand so we've got some security in our family for income. We didn't want to have build up all their brand and then not renew. So that forced us into a position. At 52, I was then to create a new brand. And I would have actually, ironically, Mike stayed with them because we were making good money. So in a way... <laughs> Well, in a way, they made us a major competitor for themselves. So, which was crazy because I was very happy to stay. You know, nothing's perfect wherever you are, but I was making good money. So, why? And I was only working a few days a week and had a great team and would have kept on going. But we started Stone. And of course, I remember one of them saying to me once, They said, Oh, why are you going? So, well, I've asked you 18 times renewal. And it's a bit like, if your wife says, Can you keep taking me out for dinner, please? Can you take me out for dinner? And you keep saying yes, I will, then some looking, good looking guy takes her out and she falls in love with him. It's a bit late. So <laughs> I sort of explained it to them later. <laughs> and I said, Well, I've created this brand, I'm in love with the brand I've created, this, so now I am gonna, I'm I wanna go and create my own thing. So which was the best thing they actually did for me because I've been able to go on and build, we're close, not far off 40 offices now um, in five years. And Our goal is to get to a couple of hundred across Australia, New Zealand, the next 10. Um, So that's how Stone was created. We had to create, but I thought if we're going to do something, it has to be um, come out of a great brand. I have to have something in great marketing. We have to be strong and I have to put a spin on it and build a national brand. So that's sort of how we were sort of forced, but in a way into that position, but a position that I love building my own brands and marketing. So it was a good thing.
0: It's pretty amazing how they've sort of created a competitor. It sounds a little bit like when uh, Netflix said to Blockbuster, yeah. we should team up and Blockbuster gave them the middle well, finger and we all know how cool. that went.
1: It's good and interesting and you know, there was a lot more of that story but, um, but you know, um, they didn't play fair when we got out and, um, you know, I think it's those things when people are telling all your staff that you won't succeed, come and stay with us and, and you know, people go broke and all this that sort of – For me, it always puts more fire in my belly, so um, it fires you up. I mean, whether we can say this on air, but I remember I was selling Amway for a bit when I had a restaurant, (laughs) had a small team, another little business on the side, and um, dabbling in that, and this great guy there, Russell Jacker, who was very successful, said, I always remember it, um, he said, it's not the roses you smell in life, Pete, it's the pricks that spur you on. So <laughs> you may need to cut that out. But it's definitely, it's very true. Sometimes, you know, when people tell you in life it can't be done, um, it fires up the belly to sort of um, prove them wrong.
0: Yeah, I... Absolutely identify with what what you're saying, um, and and it sort of reigns true with with the story of our business as well. I'll, I want to focus in on what uh, what what's different about the Stone Real Estate sort of franchise model compared to the standard um, ones that we all see the TV ads and the gold jackets and all that sort of stuff. There must be some different pitch to agents to to be able to grow the network so quickly. You said just show forty offices in how long.
1: Yeah, close to 40, so it's five
0: years to save. The Give for Growth Property Investing podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well.
1: Five years. Um, wow. I mean, originally we started as a company model. We weren't going to build a franchise, but it turned out that the people we'd partnered in and um, got them started with us decided they would like to own the office outright themselves after it became successful. Um, so we evolved to a franchise to sort of give them what they wanted. But what we noticed was lacking a little bit in the franchise real estate space was there There was all sorts of great sales training and there was great sales training in the real estate. There wasn't enough business training and and wanting to get in and help people make Grow a larger business than just the sole principle. Um, where a lot of small businesses, like if you look at some of the major brands, they might have a one-suburb model. So there was good things that if I look at other companies like Bell & McGrath do, they had large territories and that was a good idea. So, you know, you always keep the, the good ideas, so we kept that. What a lot of them didn't offer, though, was the real personalised how to help you grow a business how to recruit. So we really help them recruit and we don't charge, but that's all part of what we do. And we will work with them as many hours as they want, and everyone's different. Some want us in their business every week. Some people are happy just running their own show and using our brand and marketing. Uh, so it is very different, but we focus on teaching them how to grow a business. Uh, of course, in any business, it's always up to the to them to implement. Um, And then we build a whole digital training platform, which the other brands don't have, which is testing-based, so we can eventually have every job role within the business and guide people on a career path, as well as the principles on how to recruit, train, build their business and so on. So there's a lot of that in it, which the others aren't offering. Um, Again, there's a bit of secret sauce in there, which we can't release everything, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's... um, It's also we're very lucky because we have an amazing management team. You know, it's not me here. I just come up with crazy ideas and think let's go in this direction and start running out the front with the flag. But luckily enough, I've got much better, smarter people behind me that are implementing all these crazy ideas and bringing amazing crazy ideas and delivering exceptional service to our franchisees. And and it's it's the team collectively and a few of them are business partners with me, which is, you know, a wonderful thing. To be sharing this uh, journey with them, I love it. And I guess your
0: motivation must have changed a little bit because you mentioned about sort of being forced into the position where you probably would have been happy to carry on as you were going, but looking to renew. Obviously, had some headwinds there and having to start the brand in your in your early fifties. I'm I'm assuming that you're sort of in a in a comfortable position where you're not necessarily doing this for any reason other than you actually enjoy it and it's your passion so what what's different do you think
1: um you're right I think you can get you get to a certain age and you're comfortable and that's a really nice thing I mean I'm glad I'm not having to start go through this journey all over again um um, you do get to a comfortable thing but you also then take bigger risks or sometimes you do or some people don't um like I said at 52 I was like poker again everything was on the line I sold lots of property to fund the wages. I think it took us four and a half years to break even. But you had to have the same size franchise team, whether you had five officers or sixty, because you still have to deliver right. the same service from a training and all the you know, what it costs, people don't understand what it costs to set up a franchise. Which is probably good. That's why there's less competitors and I and I certainly wouldn't encourage people to start a franchise like this unless they have a, a fair amount of cash saved behind them because you know, as they say, how do you become a, a decamillionaire? Well, start with 100 million and end up with 10. I um, was, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I think it's passion. You know, you've got to, you've got, I love building things. Um, and I think it's those people, you know, people say you've got to have a, the, the, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. So I'll always have something on my phone, which is like an image or saying my office that is 10 years away from where I am or light years away from where I am that when I look at that image every day because it's like a, a major goal that I'd like to achieve personally, that I have to need mountains to get there. Um, so, example, I have goals that are private to me but I'd have to have 100 offices and I had that goal from when I first started and I think you've got to have it that big, you don't sweat the small stuff and when you get disappointments on the way, invariably you do or people let you down or things don't go the right way because it never goes the right way in business, you know, you're always zigzagging. Uh, to get, get get to that straight line, um, you've got to have that big goal that is so different. You, you don't worry about those little hiccups on the way. And, and I think most of us just don't think big enough. And, you know, it's one of the things you sort of learn as you get older. You go, if I had my time again, I would think bigger. i ask more questions <laughs> and I'd network and learn off people much smarter than me earlier.
0: Yep. Yes, and then you get the compounding effects of that as well. Let's um let's get on to property. How have you observed the market from the position you're in um, being the head of, of, of the franchise? What's 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 happened throughout the pandemic and what's it like at the moment? Um, time of recording is sort of end of October.
1: Well, it was interesting. I think when they dropped the Bongshaws and gave us two days notice in March, I think it was no auctions to run, and they closed everything down. Pretty much March, April, we dropped 90%. So pretty much every business, that was survival. We were having lots of phone calls, you know, through the day with every franchisee, and, and everyone was very stressed and worried about it. Mm-hmm. Ironically, then, in May, it started to settle down and pick up a bit. We are probably down about 40%. Come June, we were up 90% on the last year. Um, so, yeah, it was phenomenal. Um then July was a bit slower, August picked up, and September across the group, um, I think we're up probably 50% on last year. So it's interesting now, that's partly we have more offices too. That said, we have you know an office in Victoria and, and it's been very tough for them, though they've still been selling property remotely and doing an amazing job. But for certain offices, it's been harder, depends on the demographic where they are. But if I look at some of the Sydney areas, it's been amazing. There's still a shortage of stock. Uh, prices seem to be holding that well. Um, and I think people are going, well, where do I spend my money? Those that have a job and can invest in property. Um, I think it's a bit like some, you know, car yards are sold out of luxury cars because people are going, I can't travel, so I'm going to buy a car and travel if they've got money. And I think a lot of that could be happening it in the property or upgrading. Um, so it's interesting, you know, um, and it would be interesting to see what happens with Victoria now as they start to open up. Queensland's been pretty good, um, but you know we'll see what happens next year. I guess.
0: So if you sort of allow for the fact that you've grown the offices, let let's say you didn't it and it was flat year to year, you still would have been significantly up on the same time last year.
1: Yeah, it was in June. I mean, except for March April, which was the reverse. You know, I so said we dropped ninety percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. But again, no, none of us knew what how to handle that at the stage. You know, in the world. What was going? What was going to happen? and What was you know? We were closing everything down around the country, um, but yeah, significantly still up. I mean, even one of my offices in Manly, it, it had one of its best months ever in June. So yeah, wow. it, uh, yeah it, it's a little. Uh, it is different to different offices, but um, it's a funny. It's a funny thing going on out there, and you know, in the real estate world, and not, not all offices and not all regions are like this. Some are hit differently than others.
0: I guess one thing that was easy to observe is that the transaction volumes dropped, of course. I mean, there was a period of time where you couldn't really s- transact at all, um, but there there was significant demand for the properties that were on the market, which held the prices up um, fairly well. Do you see uh, the prices holding up as vendors start putting their properties on the market because they don't think they're going to be selling for a loss anymore? Um
1: well, again, every area is different and it probably is a, a conversation with every office, but it changes weekly. Um, as we notice in the auction clearance rate have, you know, varied um, quite a bit. But in a lot of areas the prices are, doing, are holding up quite well. Um, I guess if you're in intensive high-rise city apartments, that would be a different story. But a lot of our offices do focus on a lot of the suburbs and, and, and uh, houses and so on. But in general, they seem to be holding up okay. So, um, again, it is too early to see what happens next year, I guess. Um, uh, but what can happen is the property cycle, I think what I've noticed over the last 10 years is that can almost start changing as quickly as the share market does. Um, yeah. You notice it on the ground in the trenches. You know, from one week uh, with the bad news or something happening, things can change around weekly and equally you can bounce back or it can dive the next Sometimes, not always, but when it can be more volatile than maybe it used to be, you know, a decade ago.
0: Yeah, the data coming out of the last federal election sort of showed that as a case in point. It was sort of dead to gangbusters in the space of a weekend. Where do you see the the best opportunity for property investors in the next few years?
1: Look, look I'm not a financial um, advisor or expert, so it's a bit hard to really give that Um and I only sort of see what I'm seeing around offices, but I think if you, and again, if you we are listening to most of the people that have, know a lot more than I do about it, you would think the, the major cities and in, in, inner to middle ring suburbs seem to always do nicely from a capital gain point of view, or they have historically. Um, there's a little shift out of some of the areas people looking, like I noticed on the northern beaches we're getting even people from the eastern suburbs coming over wanting a bit more space, uh, obviously, their money buys a lot more property on the northern beaches than the east. So I think there's those demographics, and then I think there's people moving uh, from northern beaches and moving further south where they'll get more land for their money. So I think people are looking for, at the moment, um, a little more lifestyle where it used to be more maybe units. The units, certain areas are doing well, just maybe not so much in the densely populated over supplied units in, in some of the city areas. Um, so I think it's that lifestyle what can I do with the house? what can I renovate? It? Do I have a backyard? Um, so it's, sort of, it's interesting northern beaches where I live it certainly seems to be doing quite well um, and it's picked up in more popularity maybe for that people moving out of some of the city areas.
0: Yeah, there's definitely been a bit of an exodus and, and, you know, that's bearing out in the, in the vacancy rates with inner city apartments in places like Sydney and Melbourne, of course. Of the property investors and property professionals that you're connected with and and even yourself having a, been a, a property investor and having a successful portfolio yourself is there anything that that you've sort of seen that the the best have in common that could be good advice for people listening that are wanting to grow their investment portfolio
1: again again I'm I'm no expert from a property investment I'm a business builder but um I've read a lot of books I've dealt I've owned probably about 6 or 7 properties at one time at various stages. And I found, and I've used that equity to build businesses, which has helped me build a franchise business. So I'm sort of trading one asset class for another. Um, I'm sort of short in property at the moment, I'm still in property, but I'd like to get back into that in a couple of years, because it's always been an easy way to make money. If you buy a fair price, you don't, I never bought at the bottom of the market, I just bought at a reasonable price um and i sat on it now the best investors and the ones out there if you listen to the people like michael yardney and so on and read all these books they've been buying it for 20 and 30 years um you mm. know again most of us said we had a life again we'd never sell property we'd buy it and we'd never sell it <laughs> um and we would leverage that to buy another one and leverage that to buy another one and uh, i just wish i had another 60 years of life because that's what i you know i'd like to get buying more property in the next couple of years and i'd I wish I had 60 years to watch the capital growth.
0: Mm. <laughs> Don't we all? What, um, what can Stone do for property investors? I presume property management's a big part of, of what
1: Stone does as a business? Yeah, it is. We, um, yeah, pro- property management, I think all our franchises are independent run businesses but what I love about them is that they're all passionate about what they do and they're all focused on helping the investor and the landlord grow their portfolio and manage their properties um, and find them the next property. So I think, I think I think, if you're an investor listening and you're looking in an area, it's really worth talking to whatever agent locally on the grounds, find someone you connect with and find out about, you know, what's popular, what the average rent is. And it's good to be looking for sort of that average property, the average rent, nothing too high that's you're not going to get the rent for because it's just the anomaly of a property. Um, and get what are the best streets, you know, what are the bad streets and what should you look for and, and try to get that agent helping you in that process. Now, not all agents in any business are amazing at it and then they're not all investors, but I think it's trying to find that connection. Some of the other things to consider is commercial. We have um, Ben Mastaza here with us. He's heading up a lot of our commercial side we're just launching. Ben's had an amazing career in Jones Lang LaSalle and sales and so on. If people are commercial, is a great way. There's um, and industrial. So for people like that, if you've never been in that space, I think it's worth being to people like Ben, because there sometimes can be more cash flow um, than capital gain, unless of course you buy a great site that can be developed or a shopping centre that you can add value and turn around.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you see in your crystal ball, Peter, for the property market? I know you mentioned you're not a a finance guru, you're a business builder, but obviously you're you're a clever guy. You see the writing on the wall with the relaxation of lending, the cheap money, the renewed interest in... Uh, property searches according to rea we see loan values uh increasing or volumes i should see for investors and owner occupiers alike what do you think is in store for us
1: yeah look it's hard again because there's a lot smarter uh people out there putting out um messaging on that um and i uh, and all i can say is how i see it and what i would be doing um my current thing is I'm, i'm we're looking at uh, personally at a personal with my wife is, is when do we start investing in game property um, you would think all signs there with what's happening that we're going to continue to see it growing um, of course once immigration starts up again that's certainly going to give it a big push along um, but I all like I sort of look at it just through my lifetime and how fast 10 years goes and and my anyone I think unless you didn't sit on the property long enough, anyone would probably say, when I bought that property 10 years ago, gee, I wish i bought two, not one. Um, Mm -hmm. So so I think it's like knowing the area, looking around, uh, not rushing in, look at 20 houses so you get an idea of the market, where you want to buy. Look for something that people would want to rent and also potentially live in. Um, And, you know, just learn, read as many books as you can, but... I'm always positive about property i'm not saying not because i'm in real estate but i because i've been in buying and investing and um from building a couple of townhouses to putting blocks together to sell to a large company um i've been in it for a long while um and i wish i've always done more of it and i probably would have made more money just owning property never selling it than actually starting businesses <laughs>
0: There you go. I think it's uh, probably too late to, to dump the franchises and yeah, start back on the now, property <laughs> stuff. And, <laughs> well, and yeah, you're having a bit too much fun, other. I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's so, long journey now with Stone where it's going. so
0: you know. Yeah, you've got plenty of life left in you yet, Peter, I'm sure. How do people get in touch with you if they want to get uh, want to get in contact with you?
1: Well, if they wanted to know more about Stone or well, they're in that sphere, um, you can certainly always call my mobile um, which is O four triple one seven four double zero eight, or my email address, which is just my name, Peter Mumford, uh, which is M U M F O R D, like you know Mumford and Sons. Peter Mumford at StoneRealEstate
0: Beautiful. To finish us off, uh, Peter, if there's one piece of advice that you could give, uh, we normally sort of gear that towards property investors. What would that be?
1: Well, if it's geared towards pro-investors, uh, as most people would say, um, buy property, <laughs> don't sell it, and um, buy more than you think you can afford as long as you can afford it. So, so you know, again, as we all say, we, we all wish we would never sold any property. We wish we bought, started earlier on that journey. Um, so I think the biggest thing in all that is take massive action and get started.
0: That, that sounds a bit better on a quote card take massive action and get started with you know like a nice little stylized Peter Mumford signature down the the bottom ra- rather than buy property don't sell it but yeah, yeah. they're equally they're both equally good advice right and and some of the best
1: advice I've always found is is quite simple yeah I think most of us just don't I think we think about um, things too much sometimes and and don't Get excited enough about where we want to end up in you know three years 10 years 20 years and you've got to get that fire in your belly something that inspires you that makes you take massive action to get there um because you know it's not about always the destination as everyone says it is very one thing i've learned it is very much true it is about the journey as well because it's part of the battle you know striving for something makes life interesting
0: i love it big goals and
1: have a crack. That's it. Yeah.
0: Cheers, Peter. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you. It's nice chatting.